everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast on Cinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're talking about the new documentary diving deep into the history of one of the most head-scratching pieces of Hollywood mythology, I would argue, the Star Wars Holiday Special. And uh, the documentary is titled A Disturbance in the Force, How the Star Wars Holiday Special Happened. We're going to kick things off by talking with the director about what interested him in this specific behind-the-scenes story before taking a look at how he managed to piece together these unique behind-the-scenes insights about the, again, mythological, I would argue, uh, TV special. And then we'll close out the show by learning a little bit more about when you can watch A Disturbance in the Force at Dead Center and also beyond. So let's get to the film. In 1978, Lucasfilm made a huge mistake. They prefer we all forget the Star Wars Holiday Special. Lucasfilm is still saying Mark Wishman would talk about that. Nobody is allowed to mention this. No, you don't remember? It is so bad, it's not good. You have to see the Star Wars Holiday Special to believe it. The Emperor said we can't show the special in this trailer. But rest assured, you will see all the clips you can handle in the documentary film, A Disturbance in the Force. The Star Wars holiday special is sort of like the holy grail. I wanted to see this more than I wanted to live. We're starving as fans for anything Star Wars. So funny and so stupid at the same time. We have seen something that we weren't supposed to see. How did this happen? According to the description from the Dead Center website, or a shortened version of the description, I should say, a disturbance in the force is described as, in 1977, Star Wars became a cultural phenomenon that single-handedly revitalized a stagnant film industry and forever changed how films were sold, made, and marketed. Movies would never be the same again. A year later, neither would television. In 1978, CBS aired the two-hour Star Wars holiday special during the week of Thanksgiving, and the broadcast was watched by 13 million people. It never re-aired and is considered one of the worst shows to ever air on TV. This documentary answers the question, how and why did the holiday special get made? Joining me today to talk about A Disturbance in the Forest is the film's co-director, Jeremy Kuhn. Jeremy, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Hey, thanks for having me. Firstly, I just have to say, lifelong Star Wars fan, when I I, I got a press release and heard that this documentary existed, and I, I sat here and I was like, hey, I swear this documentary absolutely exists somewhere, until I saw the documentary at South by Southwest earlier this year, and I was like, holy cow, the uh, level of meticulous detail and uh, just like investigative journalism you guys put into this was, was really Im- impressive. So firstly, congratulations on the completion of the film and uh, its inclusion in this year's Dead Center. No, thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, the thing I thought was interesting about this is when we first started that no one had done it before. And other than just like five or 10 minute pieces on YouTube, they never really got deep down. So it was, I, I was happy when I found out no one had done it before. <laughs> I would even argue if you are a Star Wars fan, specifically of the variety who's really interested in the behind the scenes of the making of any of these films. I think this is like an essential watch because, uh, and we'll get into it. There's so many elements of what could go wrong in making any art or any film or television, I would argue uh, that you sort of highlight here, what goes right or wrong throughout the the making of the film. Now I want to start here. You previously had directed it a few years ago, Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. This is another story that's related some way to fandom culture. I, I'm just kind of curious, was there anything in particular that interested you about exploring these types of nostalgic stories or nostalgic properties? 
I mean, I obviously have an affinity for like Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Like I grew up with them. I mean, I don't remember my life before them. I was born in 79. So like it was the first videotapes we had on beta as a kid, Raiders Lost Ark and that. So I, I didn't set out just to make documentaries on Lucasfilm properties, but it just kind of worked out that way. It was where I kind of gravitate to that. But it's also every documentary project I've been involved in. It starts with uh, a series of questions. Like for Raiders, it was like, how did these kids do this? So like, I, I, it was just, and that I felt the holiday special was the same way. There was a bunch of unanswered questions that when I looked, I couldn't find. And I felt that was up to us to, to answer those questions fully. I think it's really impressive. I, I mean, there's a lot of history surrounding this spe- specific special, but as you mentioned, Star Wars has been around your entire life. And that actually brings me to the question, when did you first see the Star Wars holiday special and maybe uh, elaborate on that as well? What did you think of it at the time? Uh, it was 2002. A friend gave it to me on DVD. It was a bootleg, obviously. And uh, I think I watched about 20 minutes, maybe. I don't even know if I got that far. And I just, I couldn't, I wasn't, I couldn't decide if it was real or not, but I knew I didn't like it. I knew I was bored with it and just like didn't finish it. Uh, I mean, I think for decades, I didn't, I didn't ever see the whole thing. <laughs> but I, but I, I knew about it in its place in pop culture because there's tons of references to it. Yeah, I mean, and you guys outlined this in the, the documentary as well. This has like become like sort of an inside joke for a lot of, I mean, the generation that Star Wars inspired to go out and make films. I, I mean, you include folks like Seth Green, uh, Kevin Smith, uh, like so. So like the, these are filmmakers who have incorporated little pokes at the holiday special over the years. Um, what was it like getting to interview some of those folks who had who'd been around the block in filmmaking, but also had the this very like childlike affinity for for uh, this holiday special? Yeah, I mean, it's fun talking to these people. One, when we started making this, I was just like, the people who give commentary on this, like, who would I, who would I want to have a conversation about this with that would also agree to be in the movie? <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Seth was just totally, I mean, Seth's the next best thing to like interviewing George Lucas. I mean, so he has like firsthand accounts of talking to George about it and was willing to relay what he had talked to him about. But the thing I thought was, the thing I found most interesting about this process from like fans, whether they be celebrities or not, is that basically when we ask, they're like, what can we do to help? Everyone's been like totally supportive. Uh, the, the fan community is really, it's a good group of people. Like there's not all, I mean, they get, there's like toxic fandom sometimes and stuff, but like on this, everyone we've uh, kind of contact with has been amazing. Yeah. I, I think that speaks to just the, the, the positive power uh, fandoms can have when they bond together over uh, certain pieces of pop culture. Now I, I want to get further into that, but first I just want to you know, perhaps for some of our younger listeners or maybe some who are more casual Star Wars fan. I know in the year 2023, it's kind of hard for any of us to consider reality in which Star Wars isn't everywhere. Um, But like in 1978, uh, this was a year after the original Star Wars film had opened in theaters. Things were a little bit different. Could you walk me through maybe what made the specific time between the release of the original Star Wars in 1997 and The Empire Strikes Back in 1980? What made this such an experimental part of the franchise history? Yeah, I mean, I guess my position would be it's not that experimental if you're looking at the time. Because the other thing we cover in the film is just what 70s TV is like. And not having grown up with that, I had no idea how bad it was. So, I mean, as bad as people say the Star Wars special is in the context of... Uh, what was being made on at the time. Like Howard Cosell had a variety TV show. Basically, if you had a celebrity, if you were a celebrity, you got a TV show that was variety. And you could, it didn't matter if you couldn't sing or dance, you just had to be famous. Uh, so that was kind of like the baseline for a lot of TV shows. Uh, 
so the Star Wars making this move was not that abnormal, but like, I mean, if you view it as like marketing, that's basically what this was. It was to kind of, there's three years until Empire's coming out and this is a way to, it was the first Christmas, the toys are going to be available and this was a way to kind of market that. And the goal was to keep Star Wars alive in the public eye. So, I mean, in that context, it's not, even though it's jarring to watch today at the time, I don't think it was as much. It's super funny just to see, you know, before there was a huge mythology or anything like it was talk shows with stormtroopers and, you know, all these weird, bizarre variety shows kind of riffing on Star Wars. Now, I'm curious with this being this uh, special being made so long ago, how did you track down and find some of the behind the scenes talent? all these years later, because a lot of them, I know everyone knows the movie stars from Star Wars who appear in the special, but most of the people who worked really hard on this were not well-known. Was it tricky to, to track these folks down and um, talk to them about the film? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that made this a lot easier process, so my co-director, Steve Kozak, his dad was Bob Hope's uh, like producer and agent uh, for like decades. <clears throat> so Steve had started on this before I got involved and he was family. So all these variety shows, especially there was Smith Hemian was a big production company. It was the same cameraman, same, like it was the same crew that worked on a bunch of these and they did a show weekly and this was just one of the shows they had worked on. So Steve was actually knew a bunch of the people that had been on the crew as like close family friends. So that, that opened a door where it's like, we can interview the stage manager. We know the cameraman. And like, uh, the thing that was interesting is some people, if they were old, basically if you were like 40 at the time, they didn't have a lot of memories about it because it was just another show that came in and they didn't care about star Wars at all. But we had some people who were like 20 years old where they like vividly remember every detail because it was a huge deal to them to be doing a star Wars project. Uh, and most of them, yeah, they're pretty, I mean, everyone was again, very nice and open about it and they have a good sense of humor. Some of the behind the scenes stories uh, and also the way you sort of visually realize, I would say the mute, I don't know if it's appropriate to say like the musical, uh, creative shuffling that happened, you know, because uh, I think there was a few times you, you all in the film kind of like relay visually, like here's a here's a graph of the key players and here's when yeah. you know, so-and-so left and so-and-so came in. What was that? Was that like a fun experiment trying to, to, to map that timeline and, and piece together exactly when, when and what happened? Yeah, we did our best to map it as much as we could. I mean, the basic gist of it is that we feel there's two sides. I mean, this is like, we had one person, it's not in the film, but it talks about like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate was a good mix. This was like peanut butter and gasoline, where it was just never going to be a good mix of like the variety TV people and Lucasfilm and like the film side of it. And by the, and we use the graphic as a way to kind of show the progress. By the end of the project, there's like no Lucasfilm people really involved. It's just all variety people. And uh, like Ken and Mitzi Welch, who we have represented, I mean, they've since passed. We haven't represented with uh, an audio interview from like 25 years ago. But I mean, they're the people that really, but for them, this never would have gotten finished. Uh, I mean, there was a period where like they were left by themselves to make sure that this gets done. So, I mean, you can say like, maybe. I mean, I think the world's a better place for the Star Wars holiday special in it as opposed to it not, despite what you think of it. <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, and that's, uh, I think, you know, going back to something you mentioned earlier about the the fandom community. I mean, one of my major takeaways just from the initial viewing was just how much this very small part of the Star Wars history has taken on such a powerful meeting for a certain segment of the fan base. Um, anything in particular do you think uh, that the holiday special, I mean, why do you think it's taken this almost mythical status for some of those fans who have uh, since grown to adulthood? 
there's some myth, I don't know if it's earned or not, where Lucasfilm has kind of been like, we don't talk about this, we don't want to reference it, it's not there. I don't know to what degree. I mean, we've talked to people Lucasfilm, like there's never an edict where it's like, you must not mention the special, <clears throat> but they certainly don't want to uh, show it off. So I think that is has made this underground thing where it's only existed as a bootleg, where it's like something you're not supposed to have, you're not supposed to see it, you're not supposed to talk about it. And for fans, that's like catnip. Like that's that's what we want is stuff we're not supposed to see. And I think that's made it. And the mythology of that has now grown after 45 years where you, you can't, you know, it's a pandemic. You can't put that back in the box like it's out. So that's just the feeling that's always going to be associated with it, which is kind of, which is cool. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, you're not supposed to talk about it. Uh, we're ashamed of it. So I say we as in like Lucasfilm at, at the time. George Lucas, I believe, has been uh, has actually said that he did, wanted to destroy every copy of it, or at least that's the myth, right? <laughs> we got to the bottom of it. We just did an interview that got to the bottom of like he actually said it. So, <laughs> but he said it in confidence. It's, it's something we've been trying to cover. But I didn't know. We actually talked to the guy who heard him say it, and then. Uh, so the film, the film's not done yet. We're still working on it, but it's, uh, yeah, that's something long that I, I really want to get to the bottom of. And we just found out about probably two, three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Fresh, yeah. fresh cut. Now, what would you say has been the biggest surprise for you personally working on this documentary? I mean, this has been like a fun side project. Like initially I was just kind of like, this will be fun. I don't know where it's going to lead to. I mean, I feel like every doc I've started on is like, this feels like it's a short. And then, uh, it ends up, not being the case like it ends up being fine <laughs> but uh yeah i mean to me i guess the biggest surprise to me is i didn't it was learning more about 70s tv because that's kind of a nice envelope to kind of cover and put this in context and like there's so much more bad stuff i would have loved to put in like there's like a ringo star special where he plays his like he's in this he plays himself along with his evil twin and it's like just insanity uh so i mean living in that world for a while. And actually, I mean, our goal of the film is kind of give you like a sense of what the late seventies was like, even though like I wasn't alive during that time, it's a fun period to kind of look back on and just, you know, really experience what it was like, which I didn't expect when I started. I, I didn't expect to be watching like Bob Hope specials and Donnie Marie when I started on this. Well, as a child of the nineties who had uh, never looked into seventies uh, television or TV specials, uh, I have to say, I felt like I walked out with a much stronger sense of what the heck was going on on TV. Uh, because it, the thing is, it seems like you, you, you know, you kind of outlined this earlier. There, there were so many unique conditions in which this special was made that like you say, makes sense if you know all the historical backdrop, but like, is this like artifact in the 2020s, just seems like totally bizarre that anyone related to the project would ever green light it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it, they spent a million dollars on this. Like it was, it was like the most wow. expensive TV special ever made at the time or one of the most expensive. And they hired all the A-list people that did. So like, they did not go cheap on this. Like people thought it was going to be, I mean, I don't know if everyone thought it was going to be amazing, but like I think from the get go, everyone was like, we want to knock this out of the park. And it just did not, it was, it was never going to work out. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it was uh, destined to be a, a cult classic uh, amongst fans. Um, you know, I don't think I saw this thing actually until college. And it's also kind of interesting um, kind of hearing the the way you recount with a lot of people who actually saw it when it aired on TV and had these like really fond memories of it. Whereas today, if you want to watch it, you're probably an adult who's actively seeking out 
a way to watch it, and it just doesn't have that same sort of uh, uh, appeal, you know, as, as it maybe when it played the first time. I mean, Star Wars becoming so popular, it's uh, now owned by uh, Disney. I'm curious, in, if you're comfortable sharing, how is your team skirting the notoriously vigilant legal team at the House of Mouse regarding some of the clips uh, used in the film of uh, related to Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, so we go, we went through like a whole legal review to make sure everything is buttoned up on fair use. So, I mean, that's the cool thing about documentaries is you if you hit certain protocols and treat it properly, you don't have to get permission for it, or at least you're covered. And, uh, you know, we, we've gone through a fairly legal process, like thorough process to kind of vet everything out and make sure people are commenting on things and that it's not just that repurposing it. And it's, uh, it's easy in a documentary because we're basically commenting on all this is just, you know, it's like a historical artifact kind of looking back on it. So it's, I mean, our goal is to kind of have it be, you know, hopefully more enjoyable than what, like you are watching the, the special by itself out of context. I actually don't find very enjoyable. I don't know. So there's some people who do claim that, but to be able to watch it down and have people commenting on it and like putting it in context and things like that, I feel it's a much more enjoyable experience for the average person. Yeah, I know. I agree. I would much rather watch the your documentary a second and a third time before I have to watch the holiday yeah. special again one time, uh, even though I do find it really fascinating. Uh, well, you know, we'll start to wrap up here. Uh, quick question. Do you know if George Lucas knows this documentary is being made? I have no idea. I don't even know if you know that I made Raiders, so I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's off, occupied doing his own thing. I'm just curious, you know, before it gets around. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I mean, I talked to Spielberg about Raiders uh, briefly and he was supportive, but didn't want to do an interview, but the, because uh, it, it felt it was too self-reflexive, but uh, I don't, I mean, say what you want about Lucas, I mean, he is a pioneer and I actually don't think he cares about any of this, frankly. I actually, I think he's just kind of like, doesn't want to be bothered about things he doesn't care about. And this is probably one of those, but uh, I mean, it would be awesome to know what he thought. It would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this process too, I felt was that, uh, I have way more empathy for Lucas that I did not expect. I guess if we go back to the surprising question, that's the thing I didn't expect. So when I started this, I was just like, Lucas is such a jerk. He should just own this, release it, fans should see it. And now I, I understand his position a lot more where it's, he was like 33, I think when he made star Wars, it's the biggest thing in the world. He's trying to like get his company off the ground. Uh, he's making like the sequel to the biggest film of all time. And then, they're pushing him to do these marketing opportunities of which the holiday special is. So it's not like of his list of like importance. Like, I don't know if this made the top 10. Uh, and then to have this constantly be kind of referenced to him that he wasn't as involved as people think I, I could see why it would be annoying. Yeah. It's like the nuisance that just won't go away, which, which I, makes, I, which I, makes I, it all I, the better itch to scratch. That's that's oh, the magic yes. of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, people at Dead Center or at any film festival are, they see the film, credits start to roll. What do you hope they take away? What do you, what do you hope is like one, you know, one or two things they take away from a disturbance in the force? Uh, we made the film to have a good time. Like there's no, we have no agenda. There's no politics. It's just, it's for everybody. It's just like, we even made it for like, I mean, the thing that was surprising to me too also is the people who aren't Star Wars fans have really liked the movie because it feels like this time capsule, the seventies to them, which wasn't something we didn't expect. So, I mean, even if you're not a huge Star Wars fan, the idea is that you could still sit down and enjoy it if a Star Wars fan does drag you to it. But it's, uh, yeah, we just want to have people have a good time and lots of laughs. That, that's the that's like our only takeaway. We don't have any kind of greater agenda beyond that. 
Well, I for one found this whole thing to be very educational. Again, uh, yeah. having not uh, having grown up a couple decades after the seventies. Um, but well, hey, uh, this has been a lot of fun, uh, Jeremy. Thanks so much for your time today. Uh, where can listeners uh, keep up with you and uh, Disturbance in the Forest online? Uh, yeah, so the website it's uh, holiday special doc doc dot com. Let's we'll update stuff. We're also on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. I think uh, I think our handles like it's SWHS. So Star Wars Holiday Special Doc uh, has been our handle. I think on both those. But yeah, check out the website and stuff. And we should have uh, we're hoping to release the film later this fall. And uh, any other film festivals uh, currently on the docket that you can share today? This is the last one that's public. We have other ones coming up later in the year, but they haven't announced yet. But all right. Some really, some some big ones, some big uh, genre festivals that this would be like the perfect place to play at. So excellent news. Well, uh, listeners, make sure to check out the website for future updates. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today. No, thanks for having me. It was great. And listeners, uh, again, uh, for those of you attending Dead Center, this will play on Saturday, June 10th at 3 p.m. at the Harkins Bricktown Auditorium 11 with an encore screening scheduled for Sunday, June 11th at 5.30 p.m. at the Harkins Bricktown Auditorium 12. For all other things Dead Center, you can head over to deadcenterfilm.org and you can consider supporting the festival by purchasing a badge or individual ticket. And I do highly recommend you do that for A Disturbance in the Force. There's also an additional 160 plus films playing at this year's festival. And for more of our exclusive Dead Center Film Festival coverage, you can head over to thecinematropolis.com. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again next time. 